Hello, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, a Neo Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 7, which is titled Fathers and Sons. The episode aired on November 13th, 1997. Lauren, what was going on that week 24 years ago? Professional sports leagues are expanding. The NHL formally announces the name of the newest franchise, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Also, the WNBA announces two new teams joining the league, the Detroit Shock and the Washington, D.C. Mystics. Only one of them survived. Hint, it's not Detroit. Moviegoers decide they would like to know more as Starship Troopers starring Casper Van Dien, Denise Richards, Neil Patrick Harris, and ER alums Clancy Brown and Michael Ironside debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. Despite being a financial failure, the movie would take on a cult classic status following its VHS and DVD releases. It's in my top ten movies of all time as well. I fucking love this movie so goddamn much. It holds up. And Candle in the Wind 1997, Something About the Way You Look Tonight by Elton John continues its run atop the music charts. Daniel, what was on this week? What else was on that evening? At 8 p.m., Friends had the episode The One Where Chandler Crosses the Line. At 8.30 p.m., Union Square with the episode Get Rusty. At 9 p.m., Seinfeld had The Slicer. And at 9.30 p.m., Veronica's Closet with the episode Veronica's a Doll. This week's episode had 34.7 million viewers tuning in, up about 2.5 million from last week's episode. Uh, this week's episode is directed by Chris Chulak, doing his 12th out of 43 episodes. Previous one of his from this season we have done was Something New. And the, this week's episode was written by showrunner John Wells, doing his 13th out of 32. Uh, the previously on ER uh, bump this week is done by Eric LaSalle. And a couple of little like curiosities for this episode that don't really fit anywhere else. Um, we get the title card actually kind of scrolls away rather than doing a simple fade out. I don't know that that's any. I don't know that that's something that they ever repeated. Um, I guess they were trying to like, you know, highlight the the road trip theme a little bit, so it kind of scrolls away almost like a car. Um, so that's one thing. And this is the first episode of the series thus far to not have a single scene in the ER, and it's all the better for it. But yeah. <laughs> We're just gonna open. We're just gonna open with some audio because Mark is a whiny little bitch baby. So let's listen to him being a little whiny bitch baby on a road trip. Don't worry for me. I'm all right. How much farther? About twenty minutes or so. Subcompact. That's all they had. What is it? 110 degrees out here. Mid midsize. They just didn't have one. They tell you that the air conditioning. November, who asks? Next time you get the luggage, I'll get the right. How much longer? About 30 seconds is the last time you asked. You this tough to travel with all the time? My knees are... Uh, 17 my miles. We've got 17 miles till we get there. Every summer, no matter where we work, we have to pile in the car and go see some godforsaken national park or... Go see some distant relative someplace. Weeks on end. I hated it. Every minute. I hated it. Uh, 17 miles. 16 and a half. Uh, I don't know how they got audio of Lizzie and I on every drive up to northern <laughs> Michigan ever. 
Um, I'm going to let the listeners guess who's who. Ah, man. Can I just say off the top what an absolute joy every moment of this episode is for me? Like, I... I think this I'm you know spoilers for the wrap up at the end of the the show. I'm pretty sure this is my favorite episode of the series thus far. Like I yes. love every moment of this episode. It's so good and every bit of audio is just like it's it's like a a cool drink on a hot day. Like it's just perfect. It's like that glass bottle of coke that Mark has in the front seat. But yeah, Daniel, what's your opinion on road trips? I'm curious. I think road trips are one of the best ways for any pairing, be it platonic or otherwise, to gauge where it, you know, the the, the health of that relationship. I think I think that's the best way to do. It. I mean, Jen and I, Jen and I, one of the, I mean, we had we had been dating maybe like six weeks at that point. Like it was very very early in our relationship, and we took a super long road trip up to upstate New York for a friend of hers' wedding. Uh, so we were on the road together for I think it was like I think it was like nine or ten hours to get where we were going, and then we kind of drove around for a couple of days around you know there. We went to like New York City and stuff, and then made the circle back. So we were on the road for like two or three days, multiple hours at a time, and got home and didn't immediately hate it. Like didn't didn't immediately want to like get as far away as humanly possible from one another. So that was kind of like an early indication that like oh okay we can we can do this. And, um, you know, we've taken several, I mean, we drove from the East coast all the way up to Alaska together. We did this, the crazy road trip that we met you guys on back in summer of 2019, where we literally drove like over 20,000 miles or no, it was like 13,000 miles, 13,000 miles over the course of like two months. So, you know, it's one of those things that like, I think if you can get through it, if you can travel with somebody road trip or otherwise, and not want to kill each other, I think it's generally a pretty good indication that you're you're well matched who are who who is who in this situation um aside from the fact that i can't drive i'm doug and you're mark completely <laughs> yeah I, I think road trips are the devil and i love them i grew up um my mom would drive us to florida every like like week after christmas we'd go down to visit some friends down in florida from michigan she was insane that's like 22 say, to 26 yeah. hours of driving from where we were at <sighs> and like Sometimes, like now, for there was a while where when she and my stepdad would take us, they'd pretty much go straight through. Ooh. Like there wouldn't really be an overnight. We'd we'd hang out. I love road trips. I love being in the car. It's the biggest downside to me not having my license because if I did, I would drag us places more because <laughs> it's, it's what I grew up doing. It's so comfortable for me. I love our drive up to Michigan every year. It's It's my favorite. Like, I, I will always be happy to get in a car with a podcast or music or just talking and mm-hmm. just go. I love it. And Lizzie hates them. <laughs> and somehow we haven't killed each other every year on our trip to northern Michigan. Thanks for ruining my opinion. You already the said they were the I know, devil. I know, yes. <laughs> I would give me the all of the inconveniences and oddities that come with flying any day. Nope. Like if we we're if you told me we okay we're going to California for a few days, and you driving wouldn't even register as an option to me in oh. the slightest. You should have seen oh. my face. Uh, you you should have seen my face back in 2016 when Jen first raised the uh, possibility of us actually driving to Alaska from where we were on the East Coast. I was like, 
you're joking, right? <laughs> it's like you're, there, you know, the air travel has been invented, right? We can just get on a plane yeah. and we can be there in like yeah. you know, eight hours with yeah. a few stops. But no, we're gonna get on the road and drive for two weeks. It took two weeks of driving, pretty much eight hours a day, to get to Alaska from where we were on the east coast. Yeah, awesome. And when I'm in, when I inevitably go to hell because you know I'm a sinner and transgender and and queer and all this other all the other fun stuff. Uh, can you tell it's Easter? But, no, I can. <laughs> yeah, Happy Easter, everyone. Date the episode. <laughs> um, yeah, my my version of hell will just be one long road trip through the desert with nothing visually interesting, and I won't have anything to distract me, and your, I'll be the one driving. Your Game Boy is dead, and you're driving. Yes. Um. Like that is yeah, that is the most brutal form of torture I can imagine. To to take it a step further, you talk about going cross country to California. My dream trip, and this is something I'm gonna have to drag my sister or my mom into because there's no way in hell Lizzie's gonna do it, is taking the train. Oh yeah, like a little little mini sleeper car. See, that for me wouldn't be as bad because I'm not the one doing the driving. But you still told me you'd be miserable. I would be miserable, but I'd be <laughs> but I'd be a, a fair measure less miserable Kay. because I would not be in control of moving the vehicle well, that gets us to the place. I want to go with somebody who's going to have fun doing it. So you hang out in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go on a crazy cross-country train trip with someone who will enjoy it. Yeah. I just have to save up the money because sleeper cars are expensive because nobody wants to fund good train travel. I'll catch so. you. I'll catch you. I'll catch a plane and I'll meet you in Seattle. Oh dear, oh dear! But we've gone on too long about the about the most awful form of transportation ever. Uh, so, Lauren, what happens next? So they pull up outside a gas station because they have to, you know, fill up their gas and double check on a couple of things. And holy shit, that gas price of dollar fifty four—that's bonkers. I don't even know what gas costs today because you know, living in Chicago, we don't really have to check. Uh, Three dollars when I was out in the suburbs getting my COVID vaccine was what it was. Good research for this episode, Lizzie. That brings up a good question, though. What's the like? What's the lowest gas price you can remember seeing, like as a kid? You know, like people always say, like, "Oh, I remember when gas was ten cents, whatever." You know, like what was the lowest gas price you can actually have, like a concrete memory of seeing on a sign? Fifty nine cents in bumfuck nowhere, Florida. Whew, that's you might. I, I think, think you might win in nineteen ninety five or six. Yeah, that's about how yeah. far back I can remember. And I, it, for me, it would be like somewhere in the nineties. Like it would be like ninety four, ninety five, something like that. Yeah, my parents immediately stopped because they were like, "Well, shit." <laughs> yeah. Yeah this this is about the lowest for me that I can remember. Wow, was like maybe was maybe like low dollar i can remember but. i can remember driving somewhere with my parents as a little kid and hearing them balk at a dollar 30 like hearing them see a dollar 30 on a sign and being like oh no fuck that we can get that cheaper somewhere else like and now a dollar 30 you'd have lines around the block i'm just over here laughing in 2008 Ugh. um but then from there they go to the police station to claim doug's father's effects and get the details on what happened it turns out that um, Doug's dad wasn't alone in the car. He was with a woman named Sherry Fox, and Doug's dad got them both killed. His blood alcohol was four times the legal limit, and he hit a pickup truck after running a stop sign doing 120, and he killed a father of six named Pedro. Way to go. Class act, gentlemen. And in with the bangs. So after that intro, Doug and Mark are... Uh 
make their way over to the site of the crash and have this conversation. What a place to die. Never drove less than 70 miles an hour his entire life. I just think it was funny to drive with his knees, his eyes closed. It was some sort of game. Oh, idiot. Can't even kill himself right. He has to take other people with him. Leave me to clean up the mess. I don't think your dad planned on dying out here, bud. Oh, man, he never planned on doing anything his entire life. Never planned to lose our TV in a poker game. He never planned to be gone for more than a couple of days. He never planned to hurt anybody in his whole life. Your dad lost your television in a poker game? Should have killed him myself. Saved everybody the trouble. Doug, Daddy Issues Ross. Which is basically could be the subtitle of this episode. Yeah, it really could. But uh, like, it, it's such a testament. I mean, we talked about this off mic a little bit when we knew we were, this was the next episode we were going to be covering. You said something to the effect of like, well, it's just going to be an hour of us gushing over Clooney. And yeah. it really kind of is just because like you think about too, like we really haven't mentioned, addressed, thought twice about Doug's dad since the end of season two. Like we've right. gone a we've gone a full season plus now without Doug's dad making an appearance, really meriting more than a mention before that phone call a few episodes ago or last episode, whatever it was. Um, so, like, it is a little bit of a a dropped plot thread that they decided to bring back for this, and it's a testament, especially since they're not they don't bring him back physically. Like you don't you never see Doug's dad again. It's a completely one sided thing. Um, and yet Clooney manages to really get across all of the internal conflict and all of like his complex emotions about his dad. And it's something that we've maybe gotten like two episodes, maybe three worth of development on more than a season ago, which isn't, you know, might as well have been a decade ago in nineties network television time. So it's just really incredible by him that he's able to bring this much emotion to it. Well, for being an episode out of the ER, really not only, it not only like sort of like resolves that that sort of storyline with Doug and his dad, but it also this episode does an incredible amount of heavy lifting in terms of like setting up future episodes. Yeah, it too. does. Well, that and you also want to point out, like you mentioned, it's one sided, but it sounds like from everything we hear, so was Doug's relationship with his dad to begin with. So it's sure. almost a great illustration of how things have been his entire life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, just I, I just love the way Clooney plays this. I love the way that it and, and like kind of touching a little bit on what Lizzie was getting at, too. I like as the episode goes on, we get to draw the kind of dynamic and the dichotomy between Doug's relationship with his dad and Mark's relationship with his dad. And it's just the, yes. the whole thing just kind of comes together so, so very nicely. But uh, we go from there. They go to the motel where Doug's dad was staying. Uh, he was paid up through Thanksgiving, so the motel manager just decided to leave things as they were until either the rent ran out or somebody came to pick up his stuff. Uh, says Doug's dad was there with his wife, which is news to Doug. Is this? I, I want to say this is a Midwestern term, and I'm going to blame Lauren no, for this. No, no. <laughs> okay, so I put in the notes, nice caboodle on the dresser. It's not a Midwestern thing. It's actually a 90s thing that's making a renaissance, which is it's those 
hokey plastic like jewelry makeup containers that big chunky plastic thing that's on the dresser um that are they're usually in like bright pastels or obnoxious pink like think lisa frank colors so she has one that's in like this pale pink on the counter i only noticed because i have a purple and green one on my dresser so like shout out 90s babies are bringing it back um so I just noticed a little bit of 90s nostalgia there. Ladies that listen, please tell my co-host I'm not insane and that this is a thing. Because Daniel's giving me crazy eyes right now. Like, <laughs> I'm making up Michigan no, no, bullshit no, 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 over no, here. No. The only thing I would, as just as a personal favor to me, could you please say the word caboodle one more time in your best Michigan accent? Caboodle. Caboodle. <laughs> no, no, you got to do the softer. Oh, it's caboodle. Uh, caboodle. There it's you a go. Hoot. It's a hoot. I can't. I, mm, uh, that's coming up on an interview for all y'all. I, I definitely said hoot unironically while describing a film. What oh film we will. We will. You'll find out at some point. We will point. get there. And it makes it even lamer. Uh, but I definitely unironically said hoot. Oh, boy. So also Caboodle. also in this motel room, uh, we get a good old school basketball pick of young baby George Clooney, which is actually his legit uh, high school. We get a couple of like legit Clooney backstory references in this episode we get the picture of him on the um the dresser here of him in his basketball uniform he mentions in a later scene that uh he spent a lot of his childhood in kentucky which is actually where clooney's from um i wasn't able to to determine or or confirm whether or not the home movie later on of the baby is actually clooney or not um but it's possible that would be too they went through the trouble of doing all this other stuff that was clooney centric so it could have been uh Dad had some pictures of Doug and his mom around the place. Uh, I believe it's Mark who remarks, you know, for a guy who didn't care, he sure had a lot of photos of you guys around. So, again, alluding to kind of that. It's, again, the guy's not even here. We don't even need to physically see the character here in order to to continue to build on this complex backstory between the two of them. I just really like that. Uh, And Doug and Mark will be crashing into joining rooms at the motel while they go through their rest of Dad's stuff. And I just want to say, like, you know, you mentioned kind of how omnipresent the dad is throughout this whole scene, even without being there. And that's kind of true to life when you have a traumatic childhood, is that so much of your parents' poor choices or, you know, misdeeds stay with you so much longer. Like, they live on through you in a way. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, of course, his dad would still be really heavy in this episode. Yeah, but it turns out that the car that, uh, that Doug's dad wrecked was uh, Sherry's because Doug's dad's car still parked around back, which I don't know. Is this just a middle of nowhere hotel thing where, where they have a full service garage? Yeah. Yeah. Where there it's, well, it didn't even look like it just looked like a garage that would be attached to someone's house. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some weird like middle of nowhere route 66 motels that you see when you're driving through the throughout west because have you done out west road trips no i've the the furthest west i've gone in a car is minnesota yeah first this does not surprise me that there's um that there's a random garage on some motel that he was staying at like it could have been a slightly you know one where they make it a little more available for long-term rentals so there's the garage available like it middle of nowhere there might be some weird unexpected amenities like that just yeah. tacked on either way but uh the but his uh the dad's old cars it's from the 70s it's a beautiful teal convertible with these really gaudy green leather seats you know peak fashion in those days um and 
this is sort of like visually like when Doug's like talking about this car, this seems to be what hits him harder than anything else so far. Please tell me, please tell me the clone you wanted at me for this episode. I don't think so. I don't think anybody like I don't I don't think there's any uh individual awards for the show other than Juliana Margulies for one of the seasons. I can't even remember which one it is. Bullshit. Um but uh, our next audio for you is up right here, and uh, Doug and Mark decide to take the car out on a nighttime drive. I learned to drive in this car. Yeah. yeah my dad, you know, we wouldn't see him for months, and then he'd just show up, and he'd just... He'd bring my mom a present. He'd bring me a, a signed football from uh, Joe Namath, Bob Greasy, somebody. And uh, then he'd gather me up, and he'd tell my mom we were going to a ball game, which she knew was a lie, and then we would just hit the road. We'd, we'd disappear for days. We'd drive into Vegas. Sometimes we'd drive to Atlantic City. It was... I was back, uh, it was before my mom remarried, so we were still living in Kentucky at the time. So I was maybe 13, 12, I think. So we'd be in Oklahoma or Indiana, middle of the night. My dad would wake me up and say, okay, you're driving. So we'd get off on some side road, and I'd slide in behind the wheel. Just floor it. Feel those 426 horses. It just felt like I was flying. Sounds pretty great. He had his moments. Gas? A quarter of a tank. can in the trunk. Wow. You usually don't see that much baby stuff all in one place. No gas. Mark's out of gas noise kills me every time. <laughs> Especially without the visual, just the audio of it. Is... You can, you can, no, you can, you can hear his soul leaving his body as the gas leaves what's left, like the, what's left of the gas leaves that car. Mm. So shit. Because <laughs> this is '97, folks. Ain't no such thing as cell phones. Well, they exist. Commercially, not gonna as as widely available cell phones as we have. And even if they did exist, they, I guarantee you, they ain't getting service out in the middle of the california desert or wherever they are currently yeah oh man are we is is any is anyone surprised that george clooney became the movie star out of this show just based on that two minute clip like would anyone i mean i know he wasn't the big star when the show started and everything but like just based on that two minutes alone it's like okay this guy is clearly like a full-blown movie star and like can carry something completely on his own shoulders like other than to like 
do the call and response thing to reply back when necessary. Mark doesn't need to be there for that. Like Mark doesn't, we don't need Mark in that scene in order to get any sort of, get the emotional uh, beats that we need. Doug's carrying that entire scene by himself. And it's just like, man, chills. I mean, it also helps that an absolute perfect background song Mm -hmm. to go along with that. The soundtrack in this episode is primo. Mm. 10 out of 10. Excellent. Amazing. Like, All yeah. the use of the licensed songs are perfect. Good good music business terminology, Brad. <laughs> um, I, I was going to say, our episode our, our episode of this podcast is going to get D, uh, oh, DMCA'd yeah. because, Real of, fast. because of the audio clips. Um, but yeah, like as as much as we love Martin's, you know, composed music, the, the licensed song choices they make here are excellent. Which this is, I think, kind of the first episode that relies heavily. I mean, we've had licensed songs sprinkled throughout maybe to under underscore a particular scene or a particular moment but this is other than the moment coming up a little bit later on this episode really doesn't have much in the way of score like it's it's all licensed music it's all stuff on the radio it's all stuff the the diegetic sound a little bit um so it's kind of a and that's something that they would do more and more of as the show went on like when we get into those later seasons they would sort of to to varying degrees of effect, I think. They would sometimes go the easy route of using a licensed song to score a moment when earlier seasons they would have gone to the trouble of actually having Martin score it properly and give it that emo- and I to that's my preference. I and that might just be personal bias because I like him so much and I like his work so much. But right. to me it feel it felt like it lost some of its character and some of its uniqueness in later seasons when they would just use regular old licensed music. But that was also the way a lot of like TV dramas, especially if you look at, you know, to stay in the genre house and Grey's Anatomy. Oh, sure. Yeah. Both of them were really heavy on licensed music. So that might've been ER just trying to play catch up and stay relevant. For sure. I don't know if it needed to, but. And come on, you didn't, you mean you didn't love the scene of uh, Sam and Gates fucking in a closet to to Mercy by Duffy? Uh, You know, like I said, it, 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 Lauren's exactly right. It was, and that's one of the things that as we go later and later into the life of the show, I want to try and pinpoint, I I really do want to try and nail down the exact moment where ER starts to feel the Grey's Anatomy slash house pinch. Like, I really want to pinpoint the moment where the writers, producers, you know, all the people involved in the in the creative aspects of the show looked at looked at the big picture of the landscape at the time. And we're like, oh, shit, we got to change things like we got to make things look a little bit different. We got to we got to evolve with the times or else we're going to get left behind because there is a very distinct point at which that happens. And I want to make sure we we note it. Well, House premieres in 2004 and Grey's is in 2005. So that gives us a good benchmark for when to start really watching out for it. Um, but how many? But how many? Season thirteen. How, yes. how many medical shows though came and went in, between nineteen ninety seven and two thousand four five? You know what I mean? Like they clearly didn't. Right. They didn't have this like um, knee jerk reaction to every new kid on the block medical show. So I want to know like how far into how long was it before they realized? Oh shit! House and, and Grey's Anatomy aren't going anywhere, and these are going to be our major like. Uh, contemporaries for the rest of the time the show is on and we need to it's less about them needing to mold their style around us as the standard bearer but we need to mold our style more around them to in order to stay relevant it's season 13 (laughs) 
when they change the theme. I'm, but and... I'm, but I'm talking about on a like gra- on our kind of granular level. Like, wh- where is the episode where they're like, "Oh shit, we can't do okay. things the way okay. we used to do okay. it anymore." In the in it's... the production schedule, where exactly? Yes, exactly. I want to know which stupid line it is that Ray says that we're like, "Okay, now it's uh, all about hot doctors and no longer about the medicine." Got it. Right. Oh, it's when Neil is introduced. That's fine. Stop it. Oh, we mm, okay. Um. But yeah, on the flip side of that, I still need to go back and re- and watch Chicago Hope because I didn't realize that was on for like six seasons. I thought it was like two and done just mm-hmm. based on how much nobody talks about that. And I'm watching Grey's for my first time currently. I'm currently in season two. So Daniel's making a really gross <laughs> face. It's a good show. We're enjoying it it's over here. It's a different here, but show. We are, it's, it's just a different... We, yes. It's, it's a different type of show that also happens to take place in a hospital. Yes, we will not be doing a Grey's shadow cast, but Lizzie may occasionally post her feedback on the group page. Um, anyway, going back to the episode proper, unless we have anything else to say about that sound clip no, or Grey's ahead. Anatomy, um, there's a, the next morning a big old truck pulls up behind their car and the driver finds them sleeping in the back seat. Doug greets him in Spanish and he answers in English, which is hysterical. And they they manage to get the car filled up and pull up to a random house and start talking to a kid that's in playing in the yard because they're looking for Pedro Lopez's house, the gentleman who's who Doug's dad had killed. And we find out the family is burying Mr. Lopez today and everyone is at the funeral. So Doug and Mark just barge into the, not barge in, they respectfully go in, but they head into the funeral and sit in the back of the, um, of the chapel uninvited. And I love how Doug kind of like half kneels and crosses himself in the door trying to be respectful as he makes eye contact with the, um, would it be the priest? Yes. Yeah. Looks like it's a Catholic service. Um, and then it's really uncomfortable because there's a little kid in the very front, looks like it must be one of Pedro's sons, who is looking back and waving at Doug, which really rattles him. And after the service, Mark and Doug leave, and they're out in the parking lot, and Mark tells Doug that it's not his fault. This has no bearing on him. And the priest comes out to check if they want to participate in the internment, to which Doug's like, no, we, re- we really don't have any place being there for that. You know, my dad was the drunk who killed Pedro. And I don't even know why I'm here. Like, I don't know what I expected. And the priest, in the wise moment, says, it shows you loved your father. Mm. So, mm. That tortured, conflicted feeling mm, hits, yeah. right in, hits right in that emotional sweet spot for melodrama. So good. Mm. So then they go from there off to a pawn shop that his, uh, his dad had left behind some uh, some stubs for. And uh, Mark is ranting about wanting a pocket watch to pass down to his family. Finds a very, uh, looking in the little case and uh, on the counter there while the pawn shop guy is off retrieving Doug's dad's stuff. Uh, Mark finds a real trashy looking necklace with the name Cynthia. Uh, it's like, and then... <laughs> what is it what is it doug says to him like something like that like he's like if you if you buy that you're walking home something something, something like something that, to yeah. that effect i i really love uh doug's impassioned uh opposition to the mark cynthia pairing like normally mark or doug would be very like attaboy kind of thing like with, with any sort of outward like trashiness on mark's part but this it's like he can see the disaster coming from a mile away and is like i'm gonna 
I'm going to like tease you mercilessly about this until you stop because this is this is a bad idea. So I really enjoy Well, it's that. because Doug has met Cynthia. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean pretty much anyone who has knows that she's other than Mark knows that she's a problem. Exactly. Well, and Mark knows, but he's got his head so far up his own ass. He doesn't care. Yeah. He's just like, ooh, someone who's being nice to me and thinks I'm great right now while everybody else is asking me to grow and change and go to therapy. <laughs> How dare they? Uh, so men would really rather date problematic women <laughs> rather than go to therapy. There's many would, There's yes. many things men would rather do than go to therapy. So a uh, pawn shop guy comes back. Uh, Doug's dad hawked a movie projector, his Rolex, his pinky ring, which whew, as someone who's not a big fan of jewelry, just to begin with, I don't think there's anything grosser than a pinky ring. Like pinky rings, like gross me out on an organic level. And I just don't, I don't get they're, it. They're, they're an acquired taste. It takes yeah. a certain gentleman to wear them. Gross. Uh, he also hawked Sherry's huge engagement ring. Uh, and as you might imagine, with this being a road trip episode, kind of a little bit of a bottle episode flavor to this uh, episode, um, minimal cast. So, you know, obviously we only get our three main cast members and then we get a, a smattering of minor characters throughout the episode, uh, most of which were not really that notable. Um, one exception being this pawn shop guy here. It just seemed like kind of an interesting character. Um, actor's name was George, nicknamed Buck Flower. Uh, who appeared in stuff like Back to the Future, They Live, and Village of the Damned. He had 162 credits dating back to 1970 uh, and unfortunately passed away in 2004. Who was he in Back to the Future? Did you? Have uh, his credit in Back to the Future was Bum. So I'm assuming... Oh, yeah. maybe he was the guy in the... When Marty comes back. Might might be. From, from 1955. Yeah, I'd, ha I'd have to go back and look to check, but... Either way, we go over there from there over to uh, Doug saying goodnight to Carol on the phone when Mark over here is, oh no. Hey, Carol, it's Doug. Just home to catch you before you went to work. We're here in the Barstone still. We're cleaning up and I was just thinking about you and wishing you were here. I just miss you. I just wish you were here as well. So I'll, uh, I'll I'll call you tomorrow. Okay, bye. Hey, who's that? Yeah, somebody I haven't seen in the last couple of months. Uh, a couple of months? That's not serious. You want any of these ties before I give them the goodwill? I only wear ties at work. So is anybody I know? Got a nice suit here. Got an Armani. I believe it's double-breasted. You don't want to tell me who it is? That had a set of clubs somewhere. Why is it that you don't want to tell me who it is? Because I don't. It's not my ex-wife, is it? No, it's not Jennifer. Cynthia? Cynthia, you're not, are you? No, and neither should you. Jeannie? Chunie? Are you planning on Hannah? naming everybody who works in the hospital? She doesn't work in the hospital? It's Carol. What? Carol Hathaway. Your mouth's open. I'm speechless. Well, I'm relieved. You two got back together? She didn't want me talking about it because she didn't want it out at work. All right, now, you are sworn to secrecy. Cool. Whoa, she... She swore she would never get back together with you after the last time. Things change. Wow. You know, it's not that amazing. Wow. You can stop saying wow. I can't believe it. You've said that. I'm happy for you. That's great. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> just, after what happened last time, I can't believe it. Yeah, I, well, thanks. 
Does she make you take a lie detector test every week or something? Have you tried the beer because the beer's really good? No! Hey, hey, no, no, it's not fair. <laughs> Can we appreciate Mark's insecure ass that his first two guesses for who Doug is seeing are his ex-wife, in order, his ex-wife and his current girlfriend. <laughs> he just assumes that his best friend is sleeping with either his most recent partner or his current one. But A, how sweet that Doug like does try to keep it a secret for like three seconds and B, how much he's just like, I wish you were here. Because he's actually, you know, grown as a character and as a human being and actually recognizes his, what his feelings for Carol are and how to properly exp- express them. But I also love Mark having not seen all this growth like firsthand like we have through all their interactions. is like, well, does she make you take a lie detector <laughs> test? It's a fair question. It's so good. He does have a track record there. Yep. The beer fight is also ridiculous. The beer f- yeah, ridiculous is the word. <laughs> it's uh, you know, Jake and I have been friends for a long time. Arguably as long as as Mark and Doug, you know, we're similar similar type length of friendship there. And I have to say every time we hang out, we always have a beer fight and we always end up watching home movies in our underwear. That's always how it happens. And yeah. eating pizza. Defin- That's just a but, normal guy uh, thing. Yeah, definitely right? just yeah. guys being dudes. That's always how it happens. What's my excuse when it happens to me then? Well, you're a woman, so you just tell secrets to each other in your underwear and pillow fight. I mean, that's every day in this house. That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then after the beer fight, they're they're talking about the mystery Sherry and like going through some old pictures that um, Doug's dad had in the in the. Um, in the hotel room and everything and they're trying to figure out like which one she was in all the pictures and um he says you know she had a nice body and liked wearing kinky lingerie because they find some saucy pictures of who's likely sherry it's like gross and then we also find out that she had a baby because there's a picture of her with um a baby in a lot of the photos doug assumes that it's his dad's like so it's his half brother or something but we don't really get confirmation on that quite yet and then then we go into our next audio uh mark and doug are very drunk very very drunk and talking about their dads the hard part is that <clears throat> I just, it was this power that he held over us this I would, I would be so happy when he would come home, and I would tell myself that I, I, I wouldn't be, and then he would come home, he'd tell a story, he'd give you a present, and there we would all be just sitting there like we were some kind of a, like a normal family, and it's, I just, you know, I told him, I just, I just, yes, I figured that there would be a right time. Son of a bitch even got control of that. Um. You want to watch this? <clears throat> what is it? Oh. Come on. No. My chance to see you in diapers. <laughs> <laughs> Again? <sighs> you know, my dad and I, we, we barely even speak. If I call the house and he picks up the phone, he just says, hang on, I'll get your mother. He put in 30 years, and for what? He still retired as a captain. He just kept getting passed over. 
I mean, he did every crappy assignment that the Navy wanted him to do. It didn't matter. He never got the nod. Why not? Probably because of his winning personality. <laughs> so many Clooney laughs. So many chuckles. Oof, high quality Clooney laughs too, like ASMR Clooney laughs. And I really desperate, <laughs> I desperately hope that the again line was improvised. Like that was such a good take from him. It's like it's my finally my chance to get to see you in diapers again. That is a very you and Jake interaction. It is yes, very like come come in with the right, hit him back with the left. Like it's always, especially with each of you six beers deep. <laughs> oh yeah, you don't. I do not. I do not want to be around those two drinking together. <laughs> well, as long as as long as they don't have their beer fight and watch home movies in their underwear here, then I think we'll be fine. They can do it in the hotel room, like these people, like Mark and Doug. But Clooney, baby, yeah, Clooney, Doug. That line where he's like, and he even got control over that. <sighs> My therapist told me closure doesn't exist, and this is such a peak example of that. Like, yeah. It does not, you do not often get those moments you so desperately want in life. Yeah, he nails this. He nails and, every part of this. Like, it, it's, like like Lizzie was saying, like, the nonverbal stuff, too, like, just that he does that, he punches the ground, like like, the frustration, like, as he's, like, He's recounting all of the examples of how his dad has failed him over the years and how he wanted that moment of like retribution or, or reconciliation where it was like he finally either either a got to, you know, tell his dad what he really thinks of him or b you know, probably more so b just get the like the like you said, the closure that he so desperately is seeking from this and he realizes that he's not going to get it. And it just like it, it, it ah, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. And how much of this time he's also has like that smile that you get where it's like, God fucking damn it, that mm-hmm. that asshole. When you're just thinking of someone who's fucked you over. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like you said, he should have been nominated for something for this. Like he should have he should have won yeah. some kind of award for this because, you know, the, the Mark and Mark yeah. and his dad stuff is great. Uh, and we'll get into that here as we go along. But like, I think that the the Doug dealing with his not like his non his absent father like who does not appear in this episode just that dynamic alone is enough to carry this episode and make it an all-time great also yeah. is the home movie of potentially baby doug that they watch Could be. <laughs> and then they go out to the cemetery where pedro was buried and they're talking and doug says that he's in love with carol and says he had the epiphany that he'd cared about women but he never really had been in love with anyone before and he knows that because, Lizzie, that's gay as hell. Um, and he knows that because, like, he wants to spend his time with her. He wants to talk to her all the time. He wants to hear her opinion on things. Like, he respects what she has to say. And just all these little things that add up in, like, you know, the thousand different ways. Those little moments you realize you're in love with someone. It's not that big, you know, rainstorm of emotion. It's just those tiny things throughout the day. And he's like, well, shit. I'm growing as a person. I love Carol. Mm. Hot damn. And we go from there. Well, actually, in the same conversation, we learn uh, a little bit more about Mark's kind of background. We learn that Mark grew up primarily in California, uh, like the San Diego, Southern California area, and that the warm falls are what he misses most about uh, out west. And uh, 
Doug says, well, that's only like three or four hours away from here. We should go visit your folks. How long has it been since you've seen them? And I think Mark says something to the effect of like 18 months, something like that. And Mark is clearly like kind of hesitant to go. And he's like, well, we got to do stuff with, you know, we have meeting with the funeral home or whatever about your dad. And he's like, my dad's not going any place. Let's drive to San Diego and go see your family. So hard cut over to San Diego, air quotes, as we get to... <laughs> I believe I read that uh, it was Pasadena standing in for uh, mm. for San Diego here. Uh, but we get to meet Mark's mom and his pet doggy, Jake. Shout out to uh, Jake Terrell Esquire. You get a dog named after you. Uh, <laughs> Doug, uh, Doug goes for Mark's mom's iced tea against Mark's advice. He says, uh, one sip of it will put you into insulin shock. <laughs> I do like Cl- uh, Clooney's take, too, when he drinks the iced tea for the first time. It's a very good nonverbal take where it's like, I've had that iced tea before where you can almost chew it. There's so mm-hmm. much sugar in it. Oh, yeah. God, that sounds repulsive. It's called the sweet tea from McDonald's. You can just say okay, it. Okay, <laughs> so as a, I can say that because I used to work at McDonald's. That was my first job, and I had to make the tea. That was when the tea was brand new, too. Like They had just added it to the menu where you could get the dollar sweet tea. And we would make these giant carafes, like, you know, like hotel coffee, uh, hotel lobby coffee yeah. size carafes. Um, you would take your tea bags or whatever, put them in the little thing, uh, start the water. And then you would literally go grab one of those bags of sugar that you buy at the grocery store. The like big ones that are supposed yeah. to last you six months. And you would slice that open, pour the whole thing into the, into the carafe and throw the bag away. That was, and like, <laughs> we used to get... We used to get that. We, we didn't get free food, but you did get a free drink every uh, shift. And it was a um, Happy Meal size thing that you could fill up as many times as you wanted. And I used to fill it up with the sweet tea. And just in that little cup, like eight ounce cup, the, there, it was so dense because of all the sugar that even with ice, it would change temperature just from one sip to like between sips it would go from like kind of lukewarm to freezing cold back to lukewarm like it was like separating because there was so much sugar in it it was man that's a lounge episode all the like mcdonald's behind the scenes shit that's that's a lounge episode unto itself like we could do a whole thing okay let's let's do april's lounge episode just your mcdonald's stories great it's figured out go on glad i went for the root beer today with our mcdonald's lunch (laughs) oh i it's bad. Not gonna lie, it felt so good to get fast food today. It was yeah. A, oh, and, it was an and I will say, I, I haven't worked there in you know fifteen years, but like, I, and I still, I still have no problem eating there. There was nothing that completely put me off eating there, but just some of the things, some of the things you'll see, working in a McDonald's. Um, but yeah, so Mark's mom, very sweet, insists that the two of them stay overnight. Uh, this is the, the first appearance of Mark's mom, who's played by actress Bonnie Bartlett who uh, had a long, long-standing long role on the show St. Elsewhere, as well as the miniseries V, uh, as well as the movie Twins with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. She had 107 credits to her name dating back to 1955. Uh, and she's making her first out of two appearances here as Mark's mom. Uh, this Mark's mom is only in this for two episodes? Yeah, two episodes. She's, she's going to be dead here pretty soon, so... <laughs> like That's, what, bring, that's what brings him back to San Diego and, and has Cynthia pop up for no reason as she dies so um mark uh notices an oxygen tank in the living room asks what's up with that and says that it's his dad's because he's still smoking something something that sounds like emphysema so 
And uh, Doug is visibly uncomfortable with the whole situation and is like, I'm going to go run some errands and leaves and says he'll be back for dinner. So this is where we lose we lose Doug for about a third of the episode. He just kind of fucks off because now we're into the now we're into the Mark and Mark's dad exposition and can't wait for more of that. But now we get to meet Mark's dad, who's in the wood shop, a.k.a. garage uh, and oh, hi, Lee Garner Sr. from Mad Men. <laughs> Yes, actor. That voice. Oh God, his voice. You could you could spread his voice on toast. Like it's so fucking good. <laughs> like it's just. Uh, I go ahead and say who he is and where he's from. Yeah, we'll John, that John Cullum. More, but... John Cullum is the actor's name. He appeared in stuff like Northern Exposure, the movie 1776, and as Lizzie mentioned, the previous uh, previously mentioned Mad Men. Uh, this is his first of fifteen appearances, so he gets to stick around a little while longer. First of fifteen appearances through the year two thousand, so he'll be with us off and on over the next few seasons. Yeah, when we were watching this, I was looking at him, and I was like, I could almost place the face to be the same, but it's you know, how how much fifteen years before Ma- Mad Men would have started? Ten even? years. Ten years. Yeah, I can't keep track of time. It's fine, <laughs> but um, yeah. So it's it's a decade, and just. Like I was, I was listening to him, and I was like, "Wait a minute, that voice! Mm-hmm. I know that voice!" And then figured it out. So I was just like, "Oh my god, it's it's him! It's Lee Garner Senior, Lucky Strike Man." But yeah, old Pop Pop here is uh, working on a chair leg with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. You know, just like any old tiny person <laughs> should respectably be doing. Uh, and pops in a brand new one without even finishing the other one. <laughs> Is this a thing? I don't know. When, I, heavy, when I smoked, I was heavy duty smokers. Absolutely. When I smoked, I was okay. Yeah. When I smoked, I was really poor, so like I had to make every cigarette count. So yeah, this, this so is finished, the nineties. I finished though. all mine. I finished all. Mine. That's right. This is the nineties. Gas is a dollar fifty four. They're giving away cigarettes. <laughs> like they're just yeah, pretty much. Uh, but Mark uh, teases him for cupping his hand around the lighter to protect the to protect the lighter from the wind. And even though there's no breeze whatsoever, because it's California, nothing I, inclement ever happens in California weather wise. I, I love how he claps back with a lot of time on deck. Not my fault. Like habit. I mean, sure. And they're just sort of doing. They're just sort of going back and forth and about the need for oxygen. And uh, Mark's dad says, "If I need, if I need help living my life, Mark, you'll be the fir- first person I call." And they are so uncomfortable together. Incredibly well acted. Yes. I love Mark and his dad, and I love their dynamic, yes. both from a story standpoint and from an acting standpoint. They play very well off each other. Yeah. And this house is decorated for peak 90s seniors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and Mark uh, does a little snooping around the medicine cabinet to see what's wrong with his parents. Yeah, the the going back to the, the dynamic between the two of them, like it's their lack of chemistry is in and of itself chemistry like the the lack of chemistry between the characters is superseded by the the chemistry between the actors like they are so good at 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 hint because we don't know this is the first time we've ever laid eyes on mark's dad we know and, and before this episode they've never even mentioned mark's parents before so we've managed to um get across this like ocean of conflict and melancholy between these two characters and we first even were made aware of his existence like less than 10 minutes ago. Like, obviously, we knew Mark right. had a dad, but we've never talked about his dad and, and what his significance is in Mark's life. And just how like 
it's such a testament to Anthony Edwards and John Cullum that they have this kind of immediate chemistry that you can you can feel this like 30 40 years almost of tension between the two of them and we've only just found out about it in the last 10 minutes like it's mm, so good it's part of what makes this episode so great for sure mark then starts interrogating his mom about his dad's health and he is so cute pestering his mom about her health as well regarding high blood pressure salt intake etc and she's like well and he goes he tells her that you know they need to cut back on the salt like you know they're not getting any younger they need to take care of this and he goes dad can live a lot longer without salt than without you and we find out doug didn't make it back in time for dinner and (laughs) mark's like yeah because it's the middle of the (laughs) afternoon which is cute and his mom is just trying to keep normal conversation through dinner as dad is smoking and coughing and like she's just doing what what it seems like all moms in media do when there's the conflicted father-son relationship where it's always the mom that's kind of playing peacekeeper and mediator for these things, just trying to find some common ground. And Mark's like, well, why don't we go for ice cream at that place that was around the corner? Is that still there? You know, we always used to do that after dinner. And his dad insists that he has to go to the club to meet his friends, which is likely the um, VA. Mm Mm-hmm. Or uh, not, v- maybe not uh, VA, VFW. maybe the club on the base. BFW. Yeah, thank you. Duh, thank you. Um, or, you know, a club on the base or whatever. Um, and his mom is like, oh, well, you should go with your dad. That would be really great for you to get to see his friends and, you know, do something like that with him. And Mark's like, no. <laughs> and um, yeah, his mom is just a pro at diverting any of the truth or harshness with what's going on at all. And she's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go like check something in the, in the kitchen while his dad goes off with a coughing fit and has to go settle down. Mm. And I want to note here, Mark then steals a puff of his dad's lit cigarette when they both leave the table. She, she, that's stress smoke. She is such a good depiction of a military spouse, particularly of that generation. And we get a little bit more of this a little bit later when her and Mark have their conversation uh, privately, but like the 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 just like she's clear because it's only become a, a somewhat recent thing for particularly men military men to really open up about their experiences and the stress and the the you know emotional kind of baggage of all that and so she's been basically his probably emotional outlet for the last 30 years and she just manages to portray this like unspoken weight of all of that while also trying to like keep her family together and like keep the peace between uh, her husband and her son and just kind of there's this inherent thing with military spouses where you kind of have to just go with the flow because you're following your spouse around the country to different places maybe even around the world in some cases you know you you especially with him being in the navy like they could have gone anywhere and she's had to spend so much time taking a back seat to all that and and just playing that peacekeeper role she just does such a good job of portraying all of that again with very very limited time to establish any of that and yet she manages to come across very authentic and very lived for sure and our brings us to our next scene which is uh mark smoking out on the back porch with his mom keeping him company let's listen to their talk i'm quitting tonight i promise good you used to smoke yes so someone I know hounded me into giving it up. 
You were what, seven or eight? We were living down in Kings Bay, in Georgia. Every time I'd come home with a pack, you'd steal it and flush it down the toilet. I was doing you a favor. You were ruthless. You wouldn't even lie to me. You'd just march right in and tell me you'd done it. I could have killed you. He's asleep in there in front of the TV. You better wake him if he's going to make his club. Oh, well. He only makes it about half the time anymore anyway. And his friends are worse. Usually he goes down there and he's back home in less than an hour because nobody he knows shows up. You still like living near the base? It's convenient. All our friends live nearby. Your father's got the club. It's a nice life. I know you never liked it, but we do. He misses you. He'd never say so, but he does. He'd like to see you more often, you and Rachel. I love you, Mom. And I know you feel like you have to defend him. Dad doesn't think about me or Rachel. Your father loves you very much, Mark. He may not show it in the way that you want him to, but he does. I've never seen him show it at all. Well, he's just not built that way. You've got to work harder with him. I have to work yes. harder. Of course, Mom. Dad doesn't have to do anything. You've got some wonderful traits, Mark. But you always assume that you know more about everybody and everything than you actually do. I, I love that his mom is no nonsense on that, though. Yep. She's like, you don't necessarily know shit, son. Like, sit down. Yeah. yeah. For only being in two episodes, his mom is such a memorable character. She really me. is, yeah. She really is. And like I said, it's a testament to her abilities as an actor that she's able to get across that much in such a short amount of time on screen. And, uh, but I, I like, I like what she says about it too, but I also like what Mark says too, because again, men, men and women, both of, of a certain generation, particularly of, in a military background, like there was a lot of emotional baggage and emotional labor that was offloaded onto their spouses and children, you know? And Mark was probably deprived of a lot of the affection and support and you know emotional guidance as a child from his father because he couldn't process his own emotions and wasn't willing to do the work you know to learn how to do that so it's they're both right in a sense like you know i bet i bet his mother is right here i bet his dad does love him and does appreciate him in his own unique way but mark's also right in that well why is it my job to mold myself around his fucked up emotional like process you know his coping skills like why do i have to do the emotional labor of you know molding myself he's my dad he's supposed to love me unconditionally and yet i have to jump through hoops and bend over backwards just to get the most basic of affection and support out of it. it's just mm, so good way to just say everything i could (laughs) sorry (laughs) no it's fine words mouth daniel so are y'all ready for are y'all ready for this? Y'all ready for Doug's Doug to finally give the come to Jesus talk Doug, to Mark? Doug to rip Mark's head out of his ass? 
Are you ready, folks? I know I'm ready. Can, can we do it? Yeah, because Doug, Doug finds Mark. Uh, he had driven to Long Beach to check out the return address on some mail, but uh, let's listen to this. Hey. You missed dinner. Drove up to Long Beach, checked out that return address. Anything? Ah, hey, It's not my dad's kid. He's living uh, in Arizona with the ex-husband. How's uh, his family life? <laughs> uh, Dad's got emphysema. I thought he was going to cough himself to death over the fried chicken. Is he OK? He's on inhaler, oxygen. Seemed all right. Getting decent care? I'm sure it's fine. So why don't you stay here for a while? I'll go back up to Barstow by myself and you spend some time with her. Yeah, why bother? You really didn't miss much not having your father around when you were growing up, Doug. Believe me. It's kind of a, a crappy thing to say, isn't it? It wasn't my idea to come down here. Don't stay. Don't worry, I won't. I'm confused now. Your father's still alive, right? He's still with your mother? So that's the criteria for a good father? Uh, a longevity? Did you smack you around a lot? You just smack your mom around? Poor Doug. I, I, wait, poor Doug. Did your father, did he, did he come into your room in the middle of the night and throw up on your bed and pass out? Did he do that? Did he leave you in a hallway in Atlantic City while he screwed some hat check girl, Mark? Did he do that? Did he do that, Mark? Your father was there for you every night, you and your mother, and that's love. And whether it's the way you want it or not, it's love, Mark. You grew up in Ozzy and Harriet land. Get your head out of your ass. Doug just uh, dropping some truth bombs. Oh, boy. Like you said, we've been waiting on that one for, let's see, uh, this is episode seven, so nine episodes. We've been waiting nine episodes <laughs> Yeah, for him to... Uh, for someone to finally tell Mark to get his head out of his goddamn ass. If he's not going to go to therapy, he at least needed to be yelled at. Yeah. Mm. Like, to just have Mark drop the fucking woe is me bullshit. While they're dealing with Doug's father's passing? Yeah. No. And yes, that was a really shitty thing to say, Mark. Yeah. yeah. Now is maybe not And I'm the very time. glad Doug called him on it. Jesus. I can imagine these are things that that Doug has been. I mean, that Doug has been wanting to say, oh, like emotions yeah. that he's wanting to express. Maybe not necessarily in this context, but I can imagine that these are emotions that he's wanting to express for for a while mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just. And I'm glad we finally got it. I mean, and there's still more to come just before this episode is even over with. But just think about all of the emotional. Uh, heavy lifting that this episode is doing on so many levels like we're doing major uh you know tying up a lot of emotional ends with doug and his dad mark and both of his parents really but i mean especially his dad but to a lesser extent his mom um mark and doug as a relationship and in just a minute we're going to get even further emotional you know heavy lifting done in another relationship so i mean it's like this is all taking place in one episode and it doesn't even involve the er itself like that's such a an incredible amount of of uh storyline heavy lifting being done in this episode it's one of the things that 
you know, this episode is nearly perfect, I think. And that's a big reason why is that it's just doing so much heavy lifting. But so they go back to uh, Mark's parents' house. Doug gives Mark a note to give to Carol when he heads back. Doug is saying that he's going to go look up Sherry's relatives in Flagstaff to let them know what happened. And uh, this is where Mark kind of has his come to Jesus moment a little bit. He's kind of reflected on things a little bit. And he says, I've been acting like a victim, feeling sorry for myself and reflects on his lifelong fear of losing control and something awful happening and how when uh, what happened last ha- what happened uh, last spring uh, happened, the person he was died. And it was it's just a very cathartic moment for not only him as a character, but also for us as an audience, too. Like, I, I know especially for us, because we have spent the better part of the last nine episodes bemoaning his very existence. Like, we have just been, like... Just being like, Mark, why? Right. And Snap I, out of I, it. I, I love... I love how he makes the comment where he's like, and I'm afraid of what's going to take its place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That it's not necessarily just, I've realized this and I can now, it's all going to be, you know, roses and rainbows from here on out. Like he's not sure what the next evolution of this fear is going to be. And I don't know. I just found this kind of weird. I'm not kind of weird, but like I kind of connected with this in a little bit different way just because because of me, I, I reflected to my experience as a trans person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of feel like in my own way that there's sort of two versions of mm-hmm. me. The pre-transition and who I am now. Mm-hmm. So, kind of having that fear of like, oh, who am I going to be Right. Once this major, after this major life event. This traumatic life event. Because, you know, with the world the way it is, transitioning is traumatic. Right. And... You know, I still don't know who exactly I am. I still don't know. I'm still sort of forming that new part of myself even six years on. And, yeah, I just I just connected that line. Do you feel about it the way he does, that you feel like that version of yourself is a different person who is now dead? Like, and... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it like, I see pictures. Like, I see, I have these memories that I know are mine, but they feel like they're from a different person. Mm-hmm. Because they're so detached from who I am now. Well, like the pictures that come up on my feed every once in a while, I'll be like, is it okay if I show you this? Right. Yeah. Because it'll be, you know, Lizzie pre-transition and Lizzie will be like, that's not me. Yeah. Right. Like, there's no way. And I'm like, no, that's you. But it's just, it's just, I think about it and it's just, I'm a very different person. That's like, for damn when sure. that date, February, February 4th, 2015, a certain part a certain part of me died hmm. and something else has taken its place and you're wonderful and we yeah. love you yes thank you you're welcome i just have control issues so i totally get where he's coming from from that side of things mm-hmm. just like my maladaptive coping ne- mechanisms aren't working when i get beat down in a bathroom what do i what do i do now like what's going to develop out of this what happens next Laura? um so then they go back to the hotel, motel really, and Mark asks if they should grab breakfast. And as he's talking, it's framed so well because we see him trying to like unlock the door, like look through his wallet or something. And we see a woman in the background and it's framed perfectly. And it's revealed that it's Carol, right as the Doug and Carol theme starts twinkling in the background. And it's a beautiful shot of the two of them as she walks up to... Come and give Doug a hug and a smooch. Excellent moment. 
You love to see it. It's so good. My heart exploded a little bit. And then we end this episode uh, where the three amigos, they're going up. They go up to the mountains with uh, Doug's dad's ashes to dump them. And Doug simply says, I hated the son of a bitch. And I loved him. It's never simple, is it? Mm. And they all do a shot in his honor. Mm. I love, uh, as they're doing the shot, I love Carol's, like, gin face or, like, whiskey face. Like, Mm -hmm. as soon as she takes, she's like, Like, I, I don't know if it was real. Or, I don't know if what was in the cup was real. I assume it wasn't. But if it wasn't, it's amazing acting by Juliana Margulies to give an authentic whiskey face. I also, I had a really bad, when he was dumping the ashes, I just couldn't help but think Big Lebowski, Lebowski. I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it just clouds up minute. all around them. I'm like, oh. And it's 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 the coffee can. <laughs> it's the desert. It's, it's all of it. And I was just like, no. No, because it would have been right about the same time. And I was like, they wouldn't. Yeah. They don't, thank God, but I immediately went there when he went to dump them. I was like, no. no. I did too. I was like, oh my God, no. Where's John Goodman? I need John Goodman with his, or, <laughs> and uh, Jeff Bridges with his face caked in ashes. Oh, so good. But yeah, so uh, best episode yet? Yeah. 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 Top five of the series. I was going to say, not, not just I of the season, it. but of the show. I know yeah. it's incredibly divisive for a lot of people when they do things like this, but I think this one nails it, and I think it's a beautiful and very well-crafted episode, and I definitely think it earns top five so yeah. far. Top five of the series for me. Yeah, I, it's it's close to a perfect episode in almost every conceivable way. My only gripe, and it's a very minor one, and I don't even really know. How, a lot of times, you know, when we have these ones, there's there's a, an easy way to fix this, but the fact is it's it's still, the episode is the length that it is and it's very it's very difficult for me to find anything i would cut to make room for this i would either have carol show up earlier or i would have her or i would have her not show up at all as good as that moment is and as much as i love it she does feel very tacked on to this episode like she does feel very like she's there specifically for that moment and doesn't really serve much of a narrative purpose beyond that and so i if she was going to show up, I would like her. I would have liked for her to show up. Maybe we could have gotten to see Doug after he leaves Mark in San Diego, go back to the motel, and then they have their moment without Mark. Um, and then we get to have some sort of you know emotional denouement between the two of them on camera. We don't really get that. So she kind of just shows up. They have their little – she doesn't even really – I can't remember. Does she even say anything when they come together, or do they just kiss? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so, I think so she kiss. doesn't even. They're just so happy. As yeah, she does. doesn't even really talk. She just shows up. They have their little kiss, and then they go do the shot, and then that's the end of the episode. So for me, she feels a little tiny bit tacked on here, but that's a admittedly very minor gripe. This is still a hundred, like nine and a half, ten out of ten. Love this episode. Probably my favorite one of the series so far. Agreed. So Lauren, what did uh, the folks at home have to Ooh. say about this one? First off. Y'all didn't let us down. Thank you, everybody who wrote in for this, because we've been having so much fun reading these ahead of time. I'm going to do my best to get through these with as little editorializing as possible. I know Daniel has some comments that he wants us to note, but with that, let's let's be off. Um, Carly M. says, My thought was, where is that long road at in California when they did that scene in the beginning? How did Doug not just push Mark down when they were fighting that night? 
Yeah, and as, as far as the, the road goes, um, I assume it's it's in the same area. Uh, the gas station at the very beginning and the spot where they dumped the ashes at the end, they're both in this little unincorporated town called Trona, California, which is just outside of San Bernardino, and that's where they have all the little like rock formations and stuff where they do the shot at the end. Uh, seems like a pretty area. Yep. Yeah, and that's out west. That's so common to have roads that just go on for forever with nothing. So, like, watch any Breaking Bad episodes. Mm-hmm. There's miles of nothing. Um, Charles A. says, this episode actually aired the day I was born, 11-13-1997. That's not okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I think that was, um, I think that was Lizzie's, was that was Lizzie's very affectionate way of saying, happy birthday, Charles. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. This was definitely a trip that Mark needed more than Doug. Finally helped him get his head out of his ass, as Doug put it. Sets up nicely for a return episode to San Diego later on, which is thankfully the end of his relationship with Cynthia. I'm just old, it's fine. I know, you struggle enough with me being four years younger than you. I know. Um, Kathy A. says, The beer fight in the motel room felt like it healed their brother relationship. Also, when Doug looked up and saw Carol, you could just see his tension fall away. I've been a George fan since Facts of Life. I'm from Cincinnati, and he grew up around here. Jen T says, I absolutely loved this episode back in the day. I remember my mom calling me the next day saying, Did you see ER last night? It remains her favorite episode of the series to this day. Jen, your mom has great Mm -hmm. taste. And Aaron B says, One of the coolest scenes from the entire series is the Cadillac scene. That look in Clooney's eyes when he grips the steering wheel as Take 5 rises in the backdrop and the fade into the open road, two buddies cruising. Classic, iconic scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, I, I agree 100% with Aaron there. That's a, a what probably my favorite moment in the episode is because it just so, much like that scene, um, I think towards the end of season two, maybe, or early season three, when uh, Doug and Mark have their little dinner where they share bottles of wine, like, if yes. you're making the highlight reel of the Doug and Mark bromance, like those two moments would definitely be in there. Um, and I also want to point out, um, or, or Aaron pointed out to me rather, and I want to make note of it. Um, Aaron pointed out to me that this is one of the first episodes where Clooney's hair starts to noticeably change from what it's been up until now. Um, as of this episode, he's currently off filming uh, the movie Out of Sight with Jennifer Lopez and was growing his hair out for the role. And so Father and Sons is the first episode where that becomes really noticeable. Um, he was kind of growing out the Caesar cut, the the, the modified Caesar cut mm-hmm. over the last like season and a half. And this is the first episode where you really start to kind of see that hair change. And he's re- it's really going to get kind of big and flowy uh, as we get closer to Clooney's exit. So I, I love the big flowy Clooney yeah. hair. All right. Well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture in that moment as well as monthly movie reviews where we watch a movie featuring an ER cast member and pick it apart. Starship Troopers, anyone? Sure. Maybe? Sure. sure. Huh? 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 We've huh? talked about it. All right. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. 
Our theme music, as always, is provided to us by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345, where I tweet about cats and complaining about going to bed at 8 p.m. because that's adulthood. You can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's G-A-M-3-R, as well as another popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Pokemon Shield. The episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and many, many, many more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.